Hello and welcome to Tech Demand Weekly, the podcast for B2B marketing professionals with me, Charles Commons. Back in episode 30, I spoke with Jeff White about website optimization. Before I recorded that conversation, I had no idea that we would end up talking about Beyonce and her website developers being sued and the importance of making sure a website can be accessed by everyone, including those with visual impairments. After Molly Raycraft mentioned on last week's show how voice technology could possibly help with accessibility, I decided to take a closer look at how we can all make sure our websites and content is accessible to everyone. For accessibility is about creating sites for everyone. There is a chance, especially if you are in the US, that you could be sued. It's a bit touchy-feely, but it's simply the right thing to do. My guest this week is Jeff White. He's the co-founder of Cooler Partners, which is an agency designed to help leading manufacturers digitally transform their marketing and sales. Jeff began building websites over 25 years ago, and he now leads the design and development practice at Cooler Partners. To begin our chat, I asked Jeff to remind us all of the guidelines that are set out for website accessibility. There's a number of guidelines that YKEG sets, and uh, currently we're on version 2.1. And basically, these are a set of compliance guidelines uh, designed to help you define what you know your web developers need to do, and uh, especially what website owners need to do in order to make their sites accessible by a large number of devices and ultimately people, because that's what this really is about. You know, it, it's this is about making sure that your site is available to anyone and everyone who may be interested in, in what you're selling, talking about, what have you, whatever the purpose of your site is. So um, there's a number of different versions of the YKAG guidelines. Uh, there's different levels like A to AAA and with obviously AAA standard of 2.1, which is the current set of guidelines being the most stringent. And what what it means is you kind of progress up the scale is that it becomes more about ensuring that it's available on different devices like mobile devices. Um, also ensuring that, you know, we're not simply just talking about blind users, but users with low vision as well, you know, who may have um, just problems with certain degrees of contrast and things like that. Um, and also ensuring that, uh, Sites are available to people with hearing loss and cognitive disabilities. And so you're kind of making your content accessible to those folks as well. So those those different regulations, you say it's kind of like moving up the scale. So it's not necessarily a case of you have to have this particular level. What they're trying to do is, is ensure that as as we build new site properties that we're we're thinking about making it accessible to more and more marginalized groups. So you know, the default um, YCAG level A is that, you know, this makes content accessible to blind, to obviously blind users, to deaf users and things like that. So, you know, these are things like, and we can get into the specifics in, in a little bit, but, you know, these are things like providing alternative content for uh, multimedia and rich media. Um, these are things like providing keyboard navigation for people who can't see the screen, you know, things like that. So as as you kind of progress through it, it it's all about, you know, ensuring that we're widening the net, I guess, in order to ensure that people with um, perhaps not as severe a disability can also experience your site in as optimal a way as possible. So you you told us on your last appearance, Jeff, that you went to a conference in Miami. And before the event, 
the organisers sent you a list of all the attendees and, and 99 out of 100 of those attendees' websites didn't meet the accessibility guidelines whatsoever. Is this something that businesses just aren't told enough about? And if so, why not? I, you know, I, I don't think in a, in a lot of cases that it's necessarily out of malicious intent that their sites are not optimized for um, for disabled users. It's it's more that they're simply ignorant to the fact that this is that there's a need there. And, you know, you don't necessarily think when you're building a site, you know, we, we work with marketers all the time who are, you know, they're, they're concerned about maintaining brand. They're concerned about having the right kind of content. They're concerned about having conversion opportunities and all of those things that kind of go into having a site that is, you know, optimized from a business perspective. But they're not necessarily being told by the agencies that they're working with or or not necessarily understanding internally that there are these laws that exist and that there are people who are using the web who don't necessarily have the same abilities as a fully sighted person or, or a person with, with, um, with, you know, normal hearing or, or things like that. So they're just, they're not being told and they're not necessarily seeing these things, even though like, you know, the, the American news show 60 minutes did a profile on it a couple of years ago, but they really didn't, they really didn't deal with it from a, you know, they, they talked about it as if it, the lawsuits and things that are kind of coming out of this were entirely frivolous. And I, and I think in some cases they are because there's an opportunity in a, you know, especially in a litigious society like, like America that, you know, that can kind of take over and become the story. But really the story is about making the web accessible to everyone. And, you know, when, when someone is sitting down with a marketing agency and they're looking to get a new website built, that agency maybe doesn't have the the understanding or the skills or, or know that they need to sell it in, or maybe they make it optional. And, you know, there is a cost to implementing these fixes. And it's not just a one-time thing either. You know, when you develop the site, obviously you need to be thinking about this and from a design perspective and ensuring that when, you know, Whenever we're presenting uh, mock-ups to a client, you know, one of the things that we're telling them is that, you know, the way that these headlines are designed is to meet the 7 to 1 contrast ratio to ensure that we're achieving YCAG 2.1 AAA accessibility standards. And they're like, oh, I, I never really thought about that. You know, I didn't realize. And so, you know, we're, we're coming at it from that perspective. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all agencies are. And some of them may be making it optional. And that additional cost just isn't getting sold through. I know that most, uh, you know, brands will actually go and pay somebody to to make their their website for them. But um, with with the websites such as uh, Squarespace, WordPress, Wix, the way that when you go on and, and go through those websites to build a website, you often go through like a step by step tutorial of put your logo here, put your I don't know your your name here, put your content on your first page here. Should those sites and then obviously agencies as well as you mentioned take you through the accessibility side of it step by step, you know, sort of in the same way? I, I think that would be wonderful if they did. And and I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain why that isn't um part of those tools as kind of a default so that as you're going through and developing, you know, your your own site in Wix or Squarespace or or what have you, that 
that those tools are reminding you, you know, this text isn't meeting a contrast guideline or, you know, you haven't provided um, alternative content for this image or or what have you. I mean, maybe they are. I don't have as much experience kind of with those kind of user tools. Um, you know, maybe there are some guidelines that are being presented there. But um, for the most part, I think, you know, it really kind of is up to the end user to do this. And they're just not presenting that at two people so that they know that they have to do this i know with the, the with the wordpress site that we actually use that that we have the blog posts for this podcast uh, on when it comes down to writing the the articles it'll come up with the the good old-fashioned yoast seo mm-hmm. um you know traffic light system um and and one of those for the readability i think or or for seo i'm trying to remember which one it is now it falls into but one of the things that it'll come up with is say that you've got no alternative text Mm -hmm. for your images um but at the same time you know it doesn't force you to actually add those on before you hit publish it's not like it says well until you've done that you're not allowed to publish (laughs) this piece of content (laughs) in a way thinking about it maybe it should Absolutely. And and I think if they if they did, this would kind of become more prevalent. I mean, I was just researching before the show, um, you know, how many uh, ADA uh, Americans with Disabilities Act lawsuits have been brought um, in the last year. And I know that there were, um, you know, there were 470 cases in Q3 of 2018 alone. But last year, there were 2258 lawsuits brought in in the US against sites that were not accessible. And I mean, it covers the gamut of uh, of all different types of uh, of businesses, um, government entities, everything. And uh, so, you know, if if there's that many lawsuits about this, you know, hopefully it begins to co- become top of mind with people so that they understand the importance of this. And I, and I think, you know, there there are certainly some very uh, well known web conferences that definitely deal with this. So designers and developers are becoming more and more aware and hopefully they kind of bring that into their day-to-day work and, and are bringing it to the fore with their customers so that those people can understand the importance of this. And I, I think the other thing too, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. Every piece of content that you create, as you mentioned, you know, Yoast gives you the the green light if you've got the best SEO practices, you know, perhaps there needs to be a plugin that is saying, you know, not just alternative text, but, you know, the color of text and, you know, ensuring that you have the keyboard navigation and things and all of that so that so that you're just covering all of your bases as you create new content going forward that's that's just an enormous number it is for even for i I don't know compare it to um you know you know i I suppose the the most obvious would be like car crash claims you know for (laughs) whiplash and things i mean There's probably a similar amount of number, probably bigger in fairness, a number of that. But I mean, that's so big. That's ridiculous. It, re- it really is. And, and I think that the trouble is, is that a lot of these lawsuits are targeting people who just don't understand. You know, you mentioned people who are building their own sites on Wix and Squarespace and WordPress and things like that. You know, a lot of these suits are, are targeting folks that just, you know, they're, they're, they're almost like a drive-by lawsuit, you know, where they're, where they're cu- kind of coming in and hitting you and telling you, you don't meet these ADA um, guidelines and, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to pay restitution in order to uh you know to kind of move on so you know the the people who are doing it and who are being attacked as part of this aren't necessarily at fault they just don't know 
I don't want to get sidetracked into the into the fact that you know this isn't a you know a, a website building podcast, but you know that makes me think that companies like Squarespace and, and Wix and, and all those other sort of sites they actually should be protecting their customers a little bit more by you know having that sort of you know step by step guide potentially, or at least saying you know you can't publish this until you've made sure that it passes these regulations or these guidelines. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's probably only a matter of time before somebody begins to target the companies that make the tools. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that's that I'm trying to remember there was something else that not not to do with uh, B2B or websites or anything like that. There was something else and they were saying that, you know, they were going to target the actual company. Now, I think this actually might be in relation to net, uh, to YouTube. Um there's a, a thing called Article 13 in Europe. Um, I don't know whether you guys have heard about that over in Canada, but it's basically um, it's threatening YouTube creators' content in terms of copyright violation um, and things like that. And what they're basically turning around, what this article that the European Union are considering um, is saying is basically rather than you know, go for the the creators and say to the creators, right, you can't do this, you know, yes, you already have copyright strikes and things like that that YouTube give you, but we're just going to say flat out, you really can't do it. But instead of going to the creators, they're just going to go to YouTube and say, right, every time this happens and you let it through your system, you will get a strike or you will get a fine. And of course, what that then might lead to is you know, a, a less and less creators using the platform. And I think that's the kind of thing that people are worried about in the YouTube community um, because they're thinking, well, YouTube will actually just say, rather than risk getting fined, they'll, they'll just stop people within the European Union being able to publish content. Which is ridiculous, of course, because it's not hard to make these things available and accessible <laughs> like this this isn't this is you know it's it's not rocket science but it, it's simply a matter of of being of the presence of mind and thinking about it and the you know being concerned with it enough to take the time to do it right and you know we're, we're talking about probably you know an additional 20 percent of of time from you know when you're publishing content whether that's video content or you know putting up a blog post or or a new page on your site to ensure that these things are taken care of. And if you're starting from a site that already has um, accessibility in mind when it was designed and created, then it makes it easier going forward to ensure that it that it's going to be accessible as you add new content. Where we often see an issue is when somebody comes to us and says, I've got this site, I know it's not accessible, can you please do an audit on it and let us know what it's going to be to fix it? Um, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to retrofit some of these things. Um, not impossible, but uh, certainly, you know, especially in larger sites with lots of content, it can be a bit of a bear to go back and uh, ensure that you're implementing all the appropriate alternative content and setting up keyboard navigation and having it propagate across the entire entire site and, and all of that. But, you know, the when you're starting from scratch, that's that's when it's the best time to do this and uh you know going through and making uh, all these retrofits can be can be time consuming and costly so what would be the most common 
mistakes, I suppose you put them down as, um, that you see in websites when it, when it comes to accessibility, Jeff? Well, I, I think the the one that's the most obvious when you first look at a site is the contrast ratios. So this means the foreground from background so that the type stands out. And, and with um, YCAG uh, version uh, 2.1 AAA, you need a 7 to 1 contrast ratio. So that means that the, the text on the background has to um, have a a darkness contrast that is at least seven to one. And if you go down to um, just uh, YKEG 2.1a, it's four and a half to one. So the difference there is the low vision that we were talking about earlier. Um, whereas, you know, four and a half to one ha- is largely considered to be accessible to people with uh, a light blind- blindness, <laughs> if there is such a thing. I mean, it, it, but. Uh, so that, that one is kind of the most obvious and easiest to spot. The others are a little bit harder because they're beneath the surface. And if you are just a regular sighted user of the web, you're not necessarily going to see whether or not there is alternative content on that image, whether or not there's keyboard navigation. You know, you might stumble on it by mistake if you, you know, hit tab when you're in, when you arrive at a site, you might see kind of the the next button highlight, for example. So keyboard navigation is a huge one. If you, if you think about it, you know, um, if, if you are a blind user and you arrive at a site and you, you obviously can't see what is on the screen, you're using your keyboard or another assistive device to help you move through the site. If that site has not been designed under the surface with uh, the appropriate tags to ensure that you can use the tab key and arrows and things like that to move from navigation item to navigation item and have those read to you, you are not going to be able to browse that site. No way, no how, because you cannot find the things that you need to click on, or in, in this case, you're not clicking, I guess, but you know, accessing in order to move from page to page. So there's a lot of things that are part of the accessibility guidelines that normal people, and maybe this is why they just don't know, um, because they just can't see it. It's under the site, and it only shows itself when you are using an assistive technology. It's one of those things, isn't it, where it can be quite difficult, as you say, um, you know, if you kind of don't use those tools, you know, I, I don't use um, a, a laptop or, or a keyboard to, you know, read out a site to me. Um, I can I can look at it and I can then navigate using my mouse um, to where I want exactly. to go. So therefore, I've got no kind of need to even know about how the site would work if I couldn't see it. Exactly. And I mean, it's and it's not just being able to tab through and access the links and the navigation and all of that. It's also ensuring that when the site is coded, that it's coded in a in a way with a hierarchy that makes sense to someone who is not seeing it, but instead hearing it. So, you know, that the headline gets read first. <laughs> it, it seems it seems crazy. I mean, you look at the page and, you know, the visually the, you know, the foremost headline is the largest item on the page. And then you've got a subhead and then you might have an intro, a bit of copy, and then you might have the body text. Well, for a very long time, um, the way that sites were coded was that it didn't necessarily have to be in the order that made the most sense as that site was being read to you from a code perspective. So you could actually design the site so that the, you know, the subhead came first and then the intro and then the headline. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, depending on how you were trying to make the layout work, um, 
but now you have to be cognizant of the fact that if that site hierarchy is not structured in such a way that it is going to make sense to both a, a sighted and non-sighted user, then you can run into trouble. And just imagine you're listening to the page being described to you or being read to you, and it's out of order. You know, it's going to become difficult and confusing, and, and perhaps you're just going to leave the site and go somewhere else. One of the things that we always sort of talk about on this podcast is is knowing who your audience is. Now, obviously, normally we're talking about are or are the people you're you're targeting uh, likely to to buy into your product or your service, whatever it is that you're trying to sell. But in in this case, it could literally be anybody, couldn't it? I mean, somebody could just stumble across your website. And the one thing that you want to make sure happens is that that person sticks around and doesn't, and you basically don't end up with a high bounce rate. There's a danger that actually someone will just rock up at your website, not be able to hear what your website says, and then disappear again. But is it important to kind of know that your audience maybe does have a disability or, or should we actually in 2019 literally just be saying, well, there are people out there that, that can't see and don't have 2020 vision like the rest of us. We should be thinking about them just as much as we think about us who do. A hundred percent. You know, it really, I think, you know, we could talk about who your personas are and who your site is for and all of that till we're blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is designing for accessibility is about creating sites for everyone and knowing full well that, you know, um, in the U.S., it, like 13% of Americans have a disability. So, you know, that means that one in five, one in six people who are coming to your site are potentially going to be at, at some form of disadvantage from a normal sighted or, or normal hearing person. So you, you simply cannot say, well, I don't think my audience is, is likely to be blind and therefore I'm not going to do this. The fact of the matter is you wouldn't open a restaurant without putting in a ramp to ensure that people could get in in a wheelchair or that they would not be able to access your, your bathroom or, or things like that. So, you know, it, it's just simply these are the guidelines. We know that these people are as Mo as likely to be using the web as anybody else. You know, it, our agency deals primarily with manufacturers and, you know, a lot of our clients are the buying committees that they're selling into are eight, 10, 12 people, you know, and those personas that they're selling to could be engineers, scientists, researchers. I mean, any of these people could very easily have low vision or be completely blind or deaf or anything. So th there is a, as good a chance, you know, that, that your audience is going to be um, fully a fully able as they could be potentially disabled. So there, there is no reason to not create the site just because you might think that there aren't people with those disabilities coming to it because they are. So if you already got your website sorted, how, how would you actually go about checking to make sure that it, it does, you know, comply with these guidelines? There are a number of tools available. They're, they're um, as far as I know, almost entirely free. Um, the easiest way to check and see if the site is accessible is to go to the WCAG site, and there are checkers on there that you can enter the URL of your site, and it will scan it and tell you if you meet the guidelines or not. Um, there are other in-browser tools. If you're using Chrome or Firefox, there are developer tools. If you want to really dive into it, that you can put these tools in your browser, and they'll tell you, um, you know, you can sample the 
color on your site and it'll tell you what the contrast ratio is, for example. So there are different tools that you can use for doing that. The other option, of course, is to, you know, talk to an agency or a company that does accessibility audits and ask them to analyze your site and let you know how you rank and how you're doing. The other thing is, and we haven't really talked about this too, but a site that is designed and built properly for accessibility succeeds more from an SEO perspective than a site that is not designed that way. So sites that are coded properly for accessibility are actually more search optimized than other sites. So, you know, there, there are reasons that aren't, aren't just based around doing the right thing here for, for, you know, implementing accessible technologies and implementing accessible sites that are going to help you from a purely marketing and communications perspective as well. So uh, what are the risks? I know we've talked about in the previous episode with you, Jeff, about Beyonce's website developers. They, they were sued <laughs> uh, over the fact that a picture couldn't be seen uh, by a fan of the singer. Um, but what are the risks of not ensuring that your website complies with these WCAG guidelines? Well, I think there, there's a there's a number. I mean, obviously, there is there is a chance, especially if you are in the U.S., that you could be sued. Um, and I mean, all the fallout and cost that comes with defending that, and then eventually also having to bring your site up to standards as as part of the the restitution there. So, I mean, that is a very real thing for for many organizations in the U.S. So, I, I think that that is certainly a big one. Uh, more indirectly, is that. You know, as I was mentioning a few moments ago, you you could potentially lose a sale. You know, you you could be selling into an organization that has a blind engineer who is responsible for, you know, making a recommendation for a new product or something like that. And if they can't access your site, there is a very good opportunity that they would not recommend your service or product. So and then I I think there's, you know, it's a bit touchy feely, but it's simply the right thing to do. So, you know that's, you know, mitigating that risk by doing the right thing. It, it just seems like that that should just be the default state. You've, you've mentioned an awful lot there um, about um, the USA. You're obviously mm-hmm. in North America, Jeff. Um, yep. Is this just a North America slash United States thing or do the same rules and guidelines apply across the world? They're not the same rules and guidelines. There are laws in uh, in the UK. There's the uh, Disability Discrimination Act of 1995. I mean, obviously, when a lot the trouble with a lot of these um, these acts and these regulations is that they came into play in the 90s. Australia has the same thing, the DDA, and I think it's 1991. Um, And Canada has the Accessible Canada Act, which is actually, it's a law that's currently being created now. It hasn't uh, received royal assent and it hasn't been uh, written into law, but it's certainly being practiced. And in a lot of cases, the guidelines in, in other countries, such as Canada and the UK, apply more stringently and more directly to government sites than they do to business sites. But the overall spirit of those laws could be used against corporate entities for simply not making their their properties, their websites accessible. So there are provisions in those laws that could very easily be said and argued to apply to any private corporate uh, entity. And and I think, you know, we're going to see more and more laws just as Canada is doing um, that are more specifically mentioning interactive content and interactive technology and ensuring that those things are as accessible as physical locations. 
is it then just maybe the 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 the, the way that the culture of, of North America or the United States in particular is maybe perceived from outside as how everybody sues each other for the smallest thing <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of brought that this to the attention of, of, uh, of well, of, of the market there. Is that a fair thing to maybe suggest? I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's absolutely correct. And I, I think, you know, America for, uh, for all of its foibles and, uh, and, uh, and lawyers <laughs> and all of those things is really leading the charge here. You know, they're creating laws that are designed to allow, um, organizations to understand how their communication mediums affect everybody. And, you know, I, I don't think even if it's spawned a whole bunch of potentially frivolous lawsuits against companies that just didn't know any better, um, it's also serving to bring the world's attention to the fact that this is a real concern and this is something that people, you know, need to be aware of and that they really need to think about not just you know, normal, um, air quotes, uh, normal users that they need to think of everybody. Yeah. It's uh, really difficult, isn't it? I, I keep struggling to think what word can I use here to describe somebody yeah. that's impaired in some way that, that, you know, is quick and easy and you go to use the word normal and you instantly regret it. And I know exactly yeah, how you it's, feel it's not, <laughs> it's not the right word. And, and as an ally, you know, it, it's certainly not, uh, not what we mean, but it, it certainly is the case that, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be inclusive to everyone. That's the idea. And that's the aim. Yeah. So what advice would you give to our listeners then uh, about website accessibility and making sure that your website is equally viewed by everyone? Well, I think the first thing that you should do is if you are a website owner, um, whether you're, you know, in the marketing department of a corporation or or you're, you know, running a blog and selling some t-shirts or, or what have you, that you go and seek out some of these free tools and just run your site through it and see see how it fares. Um, from there, you, you really should look at prioritizing those fixes. Some of them are more... Um, more difficult to implement, perhaps, you know, maybe require a bit of coding expertise or, or some assistance from somebody who understands that kind of thing. And some of them are simply a matter of taking the time to create those alternative forms of content. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the wild thing about it is that this is actually spreading beyond the web itself into, you know, apps and tools like Instagram and things like that. Like if you go into Instagram now, when you publish a photo, there's an opportunity before you go to hit publish on it to enter alternative content for that for that post. Um, you can, if it's a video, you can uh, insert a transcript. If it's a photo, you can describe the photo. And those, are the, those same principles apply in social media that also apply on the web. So, you know, if you're using Instagram to promote your brand, you should be thinking about accessibility there as well as on your site. So, you know, it's all about finding out how are you doing? You know, is the site performing appropriately now? Um, are you able to make the changes that are required? If not, seek out somebody who can help you with that. And uh, if you're doing a new site project, then start with accessibility in mind from the get-go, and you will certainly have a, a better product in the end. Mm -hmm. 
my thanks once again to my guest today, Jeff White. You can find all the links to everything that we've discussed, including some simple tools that might help you with your website accessibility, in the blog post and on the show notes. Just go to tech-demand.com forward slash podcast. That's all I've got time for this week, but I'll be back next Wednesday at the same time with another guest talking all about B2B marketing. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you then.